Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Bulldog fans everywhere. Probably by the time you're listening, I should say good morning. Uh, we're back with the Maroon Mike, and as always, I'm your co-host, Colton Watson. And it's Andrew Miller. And we're here. We're alive. We are alert. I don't know if we're enthusiastic about some of the results here in men's basketball, but there is plenty to be positive about if you're a Mississippi State fan. Mississippi State did on the recruit, uh, goodness gracious, on the football recruiting trail, almost said recruiting trail. Uh, that would have been a great combination of words there. Did yeah. pick up a couple of transfer commitments just today and earlier this week, uh, another one. So we'll talk about that one first. Gabriel Placentia, and I feel bad for that kid growing up all uh, his whole life with that last name because I know that's just the kind of thing that junior high kids would probably laugh snicker at. But it's pretty close to another word. Yeah, he's uh, rated, and guys, kicker ratings are different. 247, those guys, they don't do kicker ratings, especially for transfers. They don't. They barely even do transfer ratings. In fact, they usually just slap their old high school rating back up there and say, this is what it was a couple years ago, you know. But uh, different ratings, but he's a five-star kicker, and that's out of six. Apparently, they have six stars for kicker. And the five-star kicker is apparently supposed to mean he, as a freshman, is worth a scholarship, although he'll be a preferred walk-on here. He's worth a scholarship and could start uh, at a power at a FBS level. I think six, I think uh, as a freshman, that's kind of what that means. He's not a freshman, he's a transfer. But if you're a six-star kicker, like you should be starting at a power five school, no bones about it. Like, so that's like the next highest you can get. But that's still really, really good. He's uh, left-footed. He does kickoff, does uh, field goals, does punting. He does a little bit of everything. So he'll probably compete at all three of those spots um, with Scott Goodman moving on, Tucker Days moving on. That kind of leaves a little competition for Archer Trafford. Competition for Nolan McCord on field goals. Uh, He's really good at field goals, although I don't think – I wouldn't describe him as a true field goal kicker. Again, he's more of a big leg for punts and kickoffs, but probably not the only kicker that we could – sign this offseason and certainly not the only one we're targeting but very good pickup big guy definitely can cover his own kick 6'1 220 uh, see that might try him out at linebacker if it doesn't work out you know just to see what kind of speed he's got on him but he he's something tells me he's going to be we're not going to be one of those kickers that can, uh, can't make a tackle i shudder to think what nolan mccord would do if he was uh kicking off like i don't he, he can't get it through the end zone so he's not going to kick off but if he could that you could see some the bat he could be on the bat end of somebody else's highlight film. Wouldn't be like Pat McAfee putting up the highlights, no. all the tackles he made all the years with the Colts. No, I don't know how uh, much Nolan McCord can do for the brand. No, not at all. But look, I mean that, that's a big pickup for state. Obviously, kicker was a major issue for you this past year. Um, Brendan Ruiz was a very talented player, and when he was healthy, he showed the ability to, you know, consistently make kicks and had you know a very strong leg, but health was an issue. And uh, you know, obviously Nolan McCord, just not a guy who was great for you out there. I mean, in of your five regular season losses, three were directly impacted by missed kicks. Uh, really, special teams as a whole, because you had other issues elsewhere too. But specifically, you missed a field goal against Memphis, lose by two. You missed a field goal against LSU, lost by three. In both cases, I'm pretty sure those were short field goals you missed. And in Arkansas, you missed three field goals, including one chip shot, and you lose by three. So. You got to have somebody who can come through and make kicks. Obviously, you know, you might still pursue another kicker in the portal, find someone else to provide some competition. Um, 
but it was a big area of concern for Mississippi State. You had to go out and get somebody, and they did. Really, really odd because, you know, Joe Moorhead's last year, special teams were really, really bad in 2019. You know, you hire Matt Brock, special teams coach, in 2020, that was probably the only unit out of the three that you were impressed with pretty much all year. I don't, I don't remember a big special teams mistake. I remember a lot of good special teams things. Of course, remember the kick returns that Tulu Griffin had at the end of the year. I know during – at the middle of the year, you know, you were like, why is it Tulu returning kicks? And you kind of had like, you know, your, your freshman running backs out there just fair catching it and just minimizing damage. But overall, you were satisfied with your special teams with 2020. And then in 2021 comes – and it actually was a strength for you in a couple games – but for the most part, it was a weakness. And uh, going to have to improve there. And good to see that Mike Leach and that staff aren't satisfied. And nobody would be satisfied with that type of uh, performance from special teams last year. Next guy, of number, one of three, by the way, that we are talking about this week alone. And the week's only half over. Not even. Jackie Matthews, uh, West Virginia defensive back. I've heard him called a cornerback and a safety. I think he's a safety commit for us. But – at a high school, was a cornerback. I think at a West Virginia, he was he was kind of a cornerback. But the way we play with five defensive backs, you're, it's just the five best backs. You know, the position doesn't matter as much. But he is an Alabama native, coming to play closer to home. He's a grad transfer. He was a mid three star commitment out of high school. Uh, did really well this year. Had forty three tackles, six and a half for loss. So. I like that. Uh, you know, with Zach Arnett, you're going to send a lot of guys on blitzes. You're going to need guys in run coverage because um, the three three five. you know, the strength of it is the run defense. Even though you have five defensive backs, you wouldn't – that doesn't actually sound correct when you just think about the personnel on the field, but it is a great run-stopping defense. Does have a sack and did have an interception. So he's all over the field. I really like this pickup. Um, somebody told me today that's close to the program that – he thinks they're actually okay right now without another transfer defensive back. You've got Marcus Banks from Alabama, uh, could come, should come in and start immediately. You've got DeCarlos Nicholson, junior college guy with blazing speed, who's still kind of rounding into form as a defensive player. You know, he went to junior college and changed positions, so he's still figuring some things out. Got him from Gulf Coast Community College down in uh, Gulf Coast in Biloxi. No, they, uh, that campus is in Perkingston, which is just south of Wiggins um, in Stone County. Oh, wow. Okay. In the absolute middle of nowhere. Wow. As most community colleges are. Where my sister goes to school right now. The uh, Very familiar with – we sent a lot, get a lot of plays from Colin. And let me tell you, Wesson is a bump on a log. And I love Wesson. I'm from Wesson. And uh, who we have from Philip? Tyra Sweet's from there. Montez Sweat went there. Community colleges are a different place. But – we got uh, DeCarlos Nicholson, Marcus Banks, and with now with Jackie Matthews, um, still optimistic about Jalen Green sticking with the program. Uh, it's a little bit late for him to kind of transfer, enter the transfer portal if he wants to go somewhere else uh, for in time for to enroll in spring classes. Uh, I don't think he that would behoove anybody when he's already, he would be on his third school. He would have to sit out a year because he's already transferred before. I don't know if he's gra- – unless he's graduated. I don't, I, he, he could be graduated, but let's have another year. I don't think he's a draft prospect, so I really don't see what his options are if he does leave, so I'm pretty optimistic about him staying. With that – I believe he was not announced as one of the uh, – for, for the senior day. He was not yes, announced. he was not on senior day. day. Yes, and that, that – you could think of that one or two ways. He wants to play again or 
he's only been here for a season and it was kind of a stopgap thing. Would you not, you know, would you put him on senior day anyway? And it's up to him. You know, if this doesn't, if this feels like, does this feel like his senior year? Cause that is a subjective thing. Austin Williams didn't do it. He's been here for five, five and a half. He's been here for a century. Uh, I think, I think he caught passes from Dak Prescott. I'm not even joking, but the uh, reality is got that guy, got Marcus Banks, you got to Carlos Nicholson and now Jackie Matthews. You don't, Absolutely have to have another defensive back, but I wouldn't be surprised if they got another one. They could. Um, I, I personally, I feel pretty good at this point. Uh, you know, you still have Emmanuel Forbes back at corner. You needed to find someone opposite of him. And uh, Cameron Richardson, you know, played well in uh, relief when he had to, but ultimately you did want to find someone else. Um, DeCarlos Nicholson was someone who on signing day, I think you signed with the expectation of him to be able to come in and start for that other starting corner uh, – compete rather for that other starting corner spot right away um obviously going out and getting marcus banks you're adding competition there and in the case of jackie matthews like you said he could be playing safety um and be sort of one of those nickel spots rather than on the outside but it's another guy you needed to add some more depth and i do think personally because you have banks and because you have nicholson you probably want this guy playing more safety for you you mentioned Jalen green we don't know you know what his future holds i hope he returns he was a very good player for state this year um but that safety position was a bit of an issue for state at times. Um, not to hate on any of the guys back there, but a lot of times if they were – if guys were able to get past uh, Emerson and Forbes, they were generally running free because a lot of the safeties weren't keeping up with them. Um, a lot of Jalen Green's damage, it felt like, was done closer to the line of scrimmage, not so much in coverage downfield. I mean, he had a few interceptions. Um But it felt like he was more being utilized in that pressure role at times than, you know, brought back in coverage. You need to shore up that position. So I think State's done a great job in this offseason of addressing that. you got a Juco guy, and now you've picked up two transfers who can all come in and compete for starting roles right away. You, you know, losing Martin Emerson was a massive loss at corner. You still, like I said, you still have Forbes. You've, you've added a lot of talent there. And I feel very confident that this defense is going to be really good yet again, especially, uh, you know, I saw Jordan Davis posting videos of him starting to work out again. That was a massive loss for you, not having – a big time pass rusher in the uh, up front uh, for state this season, getting him back. A lot of the experience you have returning, especially now that you've shored up the secondary, I think state's got a chance to have a really nasty defense in the 2022 season. Yeah. And something real quick, can't overstate how important it is to get Jordan Davis back, you know, for bigger guys an ACL can be anywhere at the absolute earliest. I've seen some really lean guys get back in like six months. And that's, not for football, though, like baseball, you know, those kind of sports. But it's usually a nine- to 18-month injury, and if it, and that happened two weeks before the season started. So for him to get – he's not going to be ready, I don't think, for full speed by, in the spring at all. Uh, that would be completely a shock to me. But if him to, for him to be ready at the start of fall camp, for that to be, you know, an 11-month, 11-and-a-half-month rehab, he's going to have to push it hard. And I know he is. Really hope to get him back. The last of these three transfers that we got, and this was just this morning, both of these last two were each came this morning. Another receiver, you know that Coach Spurrier Jr. likes to get these receivers, and they've got another speedster, another guy that they can put in the slot. Uh, I think I think he was listed on his high school film as he could be either or, but I, I really like him in the slot. He's six foot, very fast. Jordan Mosley, real speedy guy, like I said. Redshirted this year, had one catch, but only played one game at Northwestern, and I don't know what his story is, if he's going to come home. 
uh, because he is from Alabama, so it's a little bit closer. Uh, but he does he is going to have four years to play four, and with losses of Makai Polk and Malik Keith, you know, you want some depth in there, depth in there. And, you know, some of the other podcast hosts and media people were expecting two receiver transfers the whole time. You know, we really pushed hard for that four international transfer who ultimately decided to go back where he came from. Uh, so some of the people I've talked to in closer to football circles say that, well, really you only needed one receiver transfer if he was the perfect guy. But because although he's very, very talented, he's not very experienced, Jordan Mosley kind of means that you're still out for one more transfer, the receiver position too. Again, you lose Polk, you lose Heath, more than likely he could still come play. I think he might go play at Jackson State or something. Uh, I, he, he did senior day. I think he was going to try to get drafted, but after this car accident that he's healing from, I don't know how that's going to work out for him. So I don't know. We haven't lost Heath for sure. I've counted it as a loss, but that's 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 still not a done deal. But uh, And if he does come back, that changes kind of your needs at, at receiver. But sure. very nice pickup. Uh, he is still a power five uh, transfer. It's not like you're picking up guys from, you know, he was a four-star out of high school. Yeah, high four-star. You know, it's not like you're picking up guys from Eastern Washington and and you know those kind of places. Well, I mean, if we can pick up a Cooper Cup, I'm not going to complain. Right, he played at Eastern Washington. Is so, it really? Did I? Yes, I, I can't even believe I said that. Yeah, no, that would be and and like we we're going after the receiver at Florida International. That guy, the guy, only averaged like twenty something yards per catch. Like I don't care what school you're at. Like that's just elite. You know, the, getting world beaters from these from these schools that can contribute in the SEC is a good thing. But if you're going to get uh, somebody who redshirted or, or hasn't proven it at a college level, I don't want it to be, you know, Louisiana Tech or UL Monroe, you know, and, we're, and it's not. So no, nothing to complain about there. I do think that they'll probably go after a receiver. Think your number one priority now is one more offensive lineman, although – a lot of people feel really good about Albert Reese and him. He could probably start next year if necessary. I don't think that's the ultimate thing that you really want to rely on, but uh, we should still feel okay about it, but they're still going to go after some an offensive lineman, still going to go after some specialists. Uh, uh, I'm not sure that they're done with specialists just yet. I know they got the one kicker, but still losing a punter, still lost a kicker this year. So there's one more, at least one more room for one more. And a couple other positions that you might not be thinking about that they might go after uh, as well. You might be a little bit surprised by a couple of these guys. I'm not going to talk about, about it too much because I'm not at Liberty too, but some of these best available might be at positions that you don't call of need, but the coaching staff kind of disagrees with their assessment. They, they want to beef up some other positions. I mean, look, obviously you have the transfer portal uh, to use at your, at your disposal. You want to go out and get the best players you can. Even if it's not a position of need, you want to go up and, uh, if you can improve a position, you definitely want to do that. And look, uh, you know, the loss of Makai Polk, that's tough. I, you know, I don't think anyone expected to lose him. Obviously, yes, he was draft eligible, but, you know, and this is not here to take a shot because he was a very good player for him. He doesn't strike you as an NFL type prospect, for being real. But yeah, I don't think when, he was the, the run after catch for the NFL just yet. Uh, catch radius, yeah. third handedness is there. And I like how he toughed it out. He he played. He seemed like he was playing a little bit gimpy all season long. Now you can take that as he's tough, or you can take that as he's injury prone. But he never he never missed a game over it. So I admire that. You know they say in the league the best ability is availability. Right. 
No, he, he's a very good player, and obviously that's a big loss for you. I mean, he just finished one of the best receiving seasons the Bulldogs ever had. The only record he didn't get was single-season touchdowns. Um, and I think at times, I mean, he was sort of the biggest deep threat that State had um, in terms of you know, guys that Will Rogers was looking to down the field. And very clearly, you know, they mentioned it all the way back to the spring that he and Rogers had sort of been developing a connection. You saw that this year. So that's a big loss for you now. I'll be honest with this offense. I'm never going to be that worried losing wide receiver just because you know you've got a lot of – you've stockpiled a lot of very talented players. You know you spread the ball around. You don't need necessarily big-time elite receivers out there for this offense to work, as though it certainly makes it a lot easier for it to. I mean, you see what happens when you get a Michael Crabtree in the air raid, who, by the way, just got inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. Um, but uh, – Obviously, you know, that, that's a tough loss. You still feel like, you know, picking up this tra- this transfer wide receiver, some of the guys you were able to sign in the recruiting class, some of the guys you signed last year, State's got bodies. State's got guys who are going to be able to step up. Um, and the other thing you mentioned, another offensive lineman, I think that's sort of it. I think you go and get one more big offensive tackle to compete for that starting job. Obviously, you got Percy Lewis. Um, you mentioned Albert Reese, who people feel pretty good about. I would still, you know, want to go out, get one more guy, get one more body in there to compete. And I was talking with someone else today. I think as long as you address that with some of these additions State has made, I'm feeling pretty good about this roster. Um, I, You know, it's going to be a tough schedule. I'm not going to sit here and get – I think you're going to see some State fans go, like, this is a 9-10 win team. I think talent-wise, yes. I don't know if the schedule lets them get to that point. Um, but I do think – you're going to see a, a very, very good Mississippi State team. I think you got a defense that's scary and an offense that has a chance to really uh, bust onto the scene this year. Um, if you can go out and get that tackle, because losing Charles Cross, obviously massive loss, really anchored your offensive line. That's a guy who could be a top five pick. Um, you got to figure out that position. But once you do that, I think you're in really good shape. Yeah. <clears throat> Again, the only surprise so far has been Makai Polk as far as surprise um, subtraction. You've got a lot of these, you know, back end of the roster guys, these third and fourth string uh, players that I do not fault at all for going to look for an, another opportunity. Um, Depth-wise, you kind of miss Aaron Odom a little bit, which is why I think that edge rusher might be a transfer portal target as well, but we'll see. However, don't fault those guys. A lot of them are going to Southern Miss, if you haven't noticed. I think they've got six or seven Ole Miss Mississippi State guys. They're putting together a squad down there. But to be honest – Every time a, a, somebody that's not playing leaves, that's another scholarship for you to use for somebody who might play. So it's win-win for everybody. So other than Makai Polk, you're not too terribly worried about these roster attritions. We expect Ty, Ty Wheat to come back. That's probably your only other maybe leave, maybe not, aside from Malik Heath. Uh, again, and that situation's different just with the car accident, completely unprecedented situation there. I don't know what's going to happen there. But as far as just your run of the mill, you know, go to the league or stay, you're only really worried about Ty Weed. Everybody else is already either gone or, or, or aged out. So you kind of know what you're working with uh, once you get all these portals in the boat. And there'll be another wave of portals, portal guys, both in and out for sure, and possibly into the program after spring practice. You'll see that uh, the, the scales start to dip again with as the, as the portal kind of fills up again, that second rush. But I don't expect there to be too much for us to worry about, you know, and if you do see a guy that was contributing, was playing, we expected big things from suddenly leave, 
I'm not saying it can't happen. I don't expect it to. But if you, it does happen, you got to think there's something behind the scenes going on there. You know, we know that Mike Leach doesn't mess with failed drug tests, those kinds of things. So, and he's not going to publicize any of that, of course. He would never. But that's the kind of thing that's happened in the past. But like you said, schedule's really tough next year. I expect them to be a much improved team next year, kind of like this year. They're making jumps, making strides. But like you said, schedule's just tough. So a lot of your toss-up games are on the road. You got Ole Miss and Kentucky. And I'm calling LSU a toss-up game on the road because we absolutely should have won that game last year. They're going to have a complete roster change, a complete coaching staff change this year, and they weren't very good uh, in 2021. So I still think that's a winnable game, but it's in Baton Rouge. Got to go to Oxford. Got to go to Lexington. Uh, you play Georgia. That's your cross-divisional opponent other than Kentucky. And then you've got to go to Alabama. We'll be one of only three teams in college football to play the reigning national champion the last three years in a row, joining uh, University of Auburn, University of Florida with that key distinction, unfortunately. So going to be a tough schedule next year. Speaking of tough schedules or maybe not so tough schedules, uh, Mississippi State dropped one of those games that we know and love that they tend to drop that uh, completely, I don't want to say, I don't want to say I expected it, but I had a bad feeling. I had the sinking feeling because, and I've said we've it's it's been done to death. There's no other way to to say it. I don't even want to harp too much on how how much this isn't a surprise, but it absolutely was not a surprise for us to go to Oxford and lay an egg, let Ole Miss shoot the lights out. Let two, let two, not one, but two players have career nights. What I don't want to hear before we even get into the analysis and the breakdown is that, oh, that's just something you can't help. We absolutely can help it. Okay? Because if you couldn't help it, uh, March Madness would be even crazier than it already is. You can try, you can stop. There's defensive players, uh, defensive strategies for stopping guys that get hot. You can deny them the ball. You can get up in their grill. You can make it tough on them. You can foul them. You can send in a bench player to go in there and just foul them really hard. I don't recommend it, but I did it when I played. So, and I didn't play college basketball. Disclaimer. But uh, what are your thoughts on this whole situation? Uh, The more things change, the more they stay the same. This has been what every year under Ben Allen has been like. We talked about it beforehand that one of the biggest issues that state fans have had with Ben Howell has been this Ole Miss series that coming into this game, he was five and seven against the rebels. Um, he had never swept them, had only been swept once. And that was with, you know, that was a year where state was, that was his second season. Ole Miss was just a better team, but you know, lost a losable game at home that year. He has never since his first season, when they did win the first game, he has lost the first game to Ole Miss every single year. And pretty much all of them have played out exactly like this, where Ole Miss just finds a way to dominate and has a career night shooting the ball from, from three. And, you know, we talk about every, you know, every team state plays gets hot from three for whatever reason, state's style of defense that they play, even if they're on guys, find guys just find a way to shoot lights out against three against us from three and to be clear the defense at times it was bad but other times I mean you, you were in their face they just couldn't miss and the, no, no game 
encapsulates that issue more than this first game against Ole Miss every single year. And, I mean, State goes up to Oxford, and an Ole Miss team you feel you are better than, an Ole Miss team you feel like you should beat, and a team that if you have changed things as Mississippi State, if you have, if you are moving in the right direction, you win this game, go up and lose 82-72. to 72. And it, I mean, it wasn't that close. It was 50-36 it really at halftime. It wasn't that close. Um, Ole Miss was able to coast in the second half. I mean, St- State made it. There was a point they got it down to like a six, seven-point game, and you thought, oh, my God, can they find a way to have this ridiculous comeback, in which case we would be, you know, singing a very different tune right now. But ultimately, that it just wasn't to be. And for whatever reason, this series continues to haunt Mississippi State. I mean, we, I mean, it was the three-point shooting. The 1-3-1 didn't get State the way they normally did because almost didn't play it that much. But the few times they did, guess what? State turned the ball over. They they tried to dribble out of it exactly that what guys, you talked about. Dribbling out do. of the one three one trap. I'm sorry, I got to stop. No, you're they, they, one they, three run trap, and you're trying to dribble out of it. You can't do it unless you're Trey Young or something. You can't do it. None of those guys are Trey Young. I love Ivison Molinar, and I don't even think he was the one trying to do it. But you he can't. turned it over at least once in that scenario. And I'm and 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 they. It's not like they run it the whole game. They run it just enough to throw you off. Right. They, they, I feel like they did it less than they normally do. Yeah. No team, can, but you can't live that way because eventually you will start passing out of it and getting dunks. Like you cannot run it too much, but they did run it less than they normally do. Yeah. And it was just, it was the same story that state fans have seen so many years. It, the reason why fans do not want to buy in, do not want to be invested in men's basketball is that they keep getting these same issues over and over and over again. And look, I, I talked about this in the preview. And I, I said this afterwards talking to some people. Splitting the series with Ole Miss does not bother me. It, I Even when State is the better team, as much as you would love to get a sweep, it is tough to sweep your rival in college basketball. Losing in Oxford doesn't really bother me. That's a tough – that State has an all-time losing record there by a pretty wide margin. It is actually – the Pavilion is a tougher place to play um, the way they have the student section set up there. Then the Tad Pad. Yeah, um, where, you know, rain delays happen. Um, look, I, beating your rival on the road is a tough thing to do. I will never go into a season expecting it. I'm never going to go into a season saying we're going to sweep Ole Miss. But so from that standpoint, you're like, well, then why is everybody all pissed off right now? Well, because it's the same issue we see every single year, and it feels it's like the this way team, you lose. It's the way you lose, and it feels like this team is just destined for the same fate that every Ben Howland team has had. And it is tough for fans to get excited about that. Um, it's not even that State was that bad offensively. Now, in the second, they, they were terrible from three in this game, and that hurt them. Um, that was the difference in the game. You, uh, 16 from Iverson, 16 from Garrison. DJ Jeffries provided 13, nine from Cam Matthews along, to go along with 10 rebounds. Uh, you got seven from Gilmore. I mean, guys contributed. Now, there's one name I didn't mention there, and this is something we didn't bring up, and obviously this is something out of your control. You find out before the game, Tolu Smith is out once again, and this time it's not an injury. It's the stupid thing that keeps killing college sports right now. Um, they Obviously, they never disclosed it, but everyone knows what happened. I mean, I, I don't think – are we going to get in trouble for just saying it on here? No, we, no it's our suspicion. We, we're going to just say he had COVID. And, right. look, I, I – 
I, I don't know unless you have information whether or not he was showing symptoms, what the issue was. If he was if he was having symptoms, all right, well that that sucks. That is what it is. If he was asymptomatic, and I, we're not assuming here, we're just speaking. If he was asymptomatic, though, which has been what's killed college basketball so far this season, that gets into the whole role. You know, why are we testing players who are not showing issues when they're at the peak of their careers? Recently announced, like I think, like in the within the last few hours, that they will count you as fully vaccinated if you've had the virus. And everybody, a lot of people are excited about it, which, to be fair, I don't know how many athletes aren't vaccinated anyway, but there's enough of them that it would make a little bit of a difference, I think. Yeah, I mean, and look, to be clear, who knows? Maybe he was feeling complete. Maybe he was terrible. Maybe he was, like, super sick. He was having all the symptoms in the world and that he couldn't play. If that's the situation, all right. But obviously losing him was a big issue. And, you know, I mentioned in this game, I thought State had an advantage in the post. That was under the assumption they had – that they were going to have uh, Tolu because without him, uh, they did not have an advantage in the post whatsoever. Because now let me now let me slow your roll a little bit. So they're they did better in the Brooks. second half. Brooks had a lot of rebounds for Ole Miss. I, I can't say his first name. Nice year. Nice, my bad. Did have a lot of rebounds. Sixteen rebounds, if I recall. However, yep. by one. State out-rebounded Ole Miss, and they dominated points in the paint. So I say all that to say is I don't think we deserve to give this team an oh, but Tolu Smith wasn't playing. So, yeah, uh, they still did what they tend to do, which is out-rebound their opponent, outscore them in the paint. I think having Tolu offensively would have helped them a lot in the first half and would have helped them more defensively in the second half. In the first half, State was struggling to really get inside on Ole Miss. And it, it wasn't just nice to Brooks. That Ole Miss playing zone, State was having a hard time getting to their basket. Um, and not having Tolu there to counteract Garrison, to, to go have alongside with Garrison, that hurts you there. And, I mean, State didn't shoot the ball poorly in the first half, but at times, I mean, they were having issues. You know, what they do successfully offensively, they, they, they weren't doing it all that well in that first half, which is part of why they got down by the margin they did now. Obviously, Ole Miss, what they were doing offensively is the bigger problem, but it was affecting them. In the second half, Ole Miss cooled off from three a little bit and started to take it more, get the ball to Nicier Brooks more inside. That's where having Tolu, all right, at least you have a better defensive presence there to maybe limit some of that impact. It played a role in the game. It certainly is not the reason State lost. Because, I mean, this game still played out the way every game against Ole Miss has played out for State, or the first game against Ole Miss every year plays out. Um Matthew Morell, I mean, here's that rat thing, you know, random a hole theory. Guy has who's done nothing all year goes 10 of 11 shooting, five of five of three, 31 points. Absolutely kills you. I mean, and he Dejan made Ruffin had 10 a, shots. He made 10, he made, he shot 10 and didn't miss one. Yeah. And that's what um, I'm feeling like. Like, probably I'll, I'll, I'll be generous. Four of those, you tip your hat. That's a good shot. Six of those, you're leaving guys open. Yeah. I mean, um, they had their, their leading scorer, scorer Joiner was in the game, but he didn't play very much because they didn't need him. Because yeah. they, they, they absolutely – if he's not 100%, I don't know what the deal is with him, but, like, why would you need him? Because you let Brakefield, uh, Ruffin, Morell – Deshaun Ruffin put up 17. He was three of eight from three. Um, we mentioned, you know, 16 along with 15 rebounds from Nicear Brooks. And then Jamin Brakefield put up 15 of his own, uh, hit a couple three-pointers. and was a very nice six of nine shooting. 
when you let every starter except one score 15 points, I mean, that's just not a good not a good recipe for success. Ole Miss shot 64% from three in the first half. Not a good recipe for, for success. When shot she, over 50% for the game. And, and I'm not going to do a ton of X's and O's on here because I almost need no a whiteboard. I almost need a whiteboard. You know, we're a great rebounding team. I think Ben Hallen hangs the, his hat on the fact that we're a great rebounding team. You know why we're a great rebounding team? Because we don't contest threes. We live with that shot. And maybe in the in the late 90s and early 2000s, teams didn't make them at a clip of at enough of a clip to beat you. And it was a lot of offensive rebounds that got that were teams had their bread and butter. And Ben Hallen's style prevents that. Well, it's 2022, and teams can shoot those now. Teams that can't shoot on paper will shoot better because everybody else has adapted, and maybe they're not getting 40 rebounds a night, but they're defending the perimeter and limiting teams to where even teams that don't – that, again, don't look good on paper shooting the three because everybody else is actually playing defense against them. They can shoot it against us because if you leave those guys open, they can shoot it. If you – in modern game, not in the SEC as much, but a lot of times if you leave the center open, they're going to shoot it. And probably make it. I mean, we look at us. Garrison Brooks, our power forward, can stroke it. I don't know why he doesn't think other teams don't have the same issue there, or I'll say issue, the same talent. It's it's a, it's weird. And it's not – you can't go and just reinvent the wheel if you've been coaching basketball for 40 years with your whole coaching strategy, but you got to do something. Like, I don't know if it's, if it's just a culture of how they play defense, if he's coaching his guys to not – to, to focus their effort. It's not a lack of effort. It's not – I don't care. It's not lazy. It's nothing like that with the players. It's they are focused on securing the rebound more than getting out and contesting threes. When the guys are coming down the perimeter, you know, on transition or something, they're all in the lane. Watch watch Mississippi State. Mississippi State's defenders are in the lane. That is what they teach you, you know, junior high, high school basketball. Get in the lane – because you want to disrupt passes that are that they're going for a layup. Well, guys go into the paint on the transition and kick it out for a three, and those are a very high percentage shot in the modern game, okay, and especially when it's inside out. that That's going in probably 60%, 70% of the time. You've got to adapt. You've got to have guys running in the slots, running to the corners, not just running down the, down the middle of the lane to prevent layups. So, anyway, that's my two cents there. We're going to move on. I know you uh, you said earlier Lenardi still has us in. We're, st- we're not even in the play-in games right now, uh, according to his – Yeah, um, he has us as an 11 seed, um, which was still – I think was in the last four buys. So, I mean, he still has stayed ahead. But, I mean, he had stayed a little bit higher ahead than I think a lot of other people do. Um, I will say, just to add insult to injury, as we're recording this, Ole Miss went on the road to the Texas A&M and got their teeth kicked in. Um Scored only one more point the whole game than they scored against us in the first half. Ole Miss averaged, what, like 64 points per game, something stupid like that, terribly, and they put up 50 in the first half against State. And it's just that game. Again, this is the same State team that limited Colorado State 19 points under their average. I mean, what are you going right. to do? It's, it's not a great spot to be in. Um and I mean, I mentioned Texas A&M. They're actually surprisingly good. I, I said on Saturday, uh, they again now I'm bouncing to another team. That Arkansas team that we thought was a good win, that they're struggling. They've lost five of their last six. They're zero and three in SEC play. They got killed by Texas A&M too. A&M, they're fourteen and two, and they're three and zero in the SEC. 
and I think they have one more winnable game before they host Kentucky. Um, so it, that's a, you know, that's an opponent to look out for down the road. Um, it's just frustrating. It feels like, and I said this on uh, Saturday, like you can't tell me that Kermit Davis, because I feel like, you know, obviously this dates back to when Andy Kennedy was here, but I feel like with Kermit, we've sort of settled into like these games are especially playing out the same way. You can't tell me that it's not a personal thing for him that. Oh, no doubt. And I was, and I, I want to add something to, I don't think it's a player effort thing. I really don't on our side. I don't think that their effort is any different for an Ole Miss game than for an SEC game of any type. But I do think Ole Miss kind of gets up a little bit. It's almost, and this is this is almost so fringe, such a fringe theory. It's almost a conspiracy theory. But you know how we're dominant against Ole Miss in baseball, and a lot of people chalk that up to Mississippi State still has probably half a roster full of Mississippi, maybe some Alabama kids, and Ole Miss likes to reach and in, dip into California, Texas, Florida for some of those kids. Not that we don't do the same thing, but you know Logan Tanner, Cameron James, uh, Landon Sims. You can go down the diamond. Let me think of some more. Brad Cumbus, Braylon Skinner, going all the way down. Luke Hancock. Those are all Miss Tanner Leggett. I can keep Lane, Lane Forsyth from Tennessee, so not that far. Those are all Mississippi guys. We're kind of the opposite in basketball. If there's a Mississippi kid, highly rated recruit, Mississippi's not a basketball state. It's not a high school basketball state, not even close to one. But if there is a good one, I feel like Ole Miss has, has, is, has a higher chance of getting them. And maybe they take some players that Ben Hallen kind of recruits over, you know, going I, out. I think since Kermit got, has gotten there, like, I, I, Hallen's first two years, a lot of our top players were coming from Mississippi. Right. It was Quinn, we, Quinn Derry, Nick Weatherspoon. Malik Newman. Malik Newman. Um, Nick Weatherspoon. Uh, Tyson. I mean, State landed some guys. But I Tyson, think I don't count the Tyson. last few Tyson's years, Kermit started to – I don't count Tyson. That, I mean, that's true, but we're talking about our guys maybe not getting the rivalry. We have a roster with three legacy players as like your biggest contributors. And fair. the same thing happened. That's fair. So it is, it is. Those a- guys understand this rivalry. It's an issue. It, I, I know people don't want to hear too much more about basketball. Uh, Back to what you were saying, like Bernardi, he bumped us down to an 11 seed. If you look at the net ranking, states down to number 45. Uh, their upcoming game is not going to help them in any of this. It'll probably hurt them in terms of their net because Georgia is that bad. And, and we'll talk about that game briefly before you face off of that, you know, a big matchup with Alabama, who's currently down 10 to Auburn at home. Um, that game coming up on Saturday that if you had beaten Ole Miss – and then you're taking care of business against Georgia. I think you're talking about a packed out Humphrey Coliseum. People super excited, and yet here we go. It's going to be the same old, same old. And I, I am, I'm so torn because on the one hand, I still there's a part of me that's like, you know what? I wish people would just say, screw it. We're going to support the team. We're going to show up. We're going to be out there. We don't care how they're playing. We don't care how frustrating it is. They're they're not terrible. Let's go show up and like get a, give them a great home field home court advantage to get a win. Part of me wants that, but the other part of me understands exactly why people are frustrated. Because, I mean, I have the same frustrations and why people just don't want to buy in and why people don't want to spend their money to go to a game where they feel like they're just going to get the same predictable and frustrating results over and over and over and over again. I mean, I, 
we'll see what happens. Maybe they'll get hot again, and then you'll we'll start to plea for people to come to the hump. I'm not going to make a big push for people to show up this week. I, I hope they do, but I it is what it is. Yeah. And uh, do you have Georgia? By the time you're listening to this, they'll be playing them uh, this evening because uh, you'll probably get this Wednesday morning. Not going to go into it too much. I know that Hallen has owned Tom Crean in Georgia, kind of like he's owned Arkansas. It's one of those things. So Georgia's also not very good. Not gonna talk no, they're about, terrible. Yeah, I'm not going to do the X's and O's or the, the statistical breakdown for Georgia tonight. We don't have time. And I'll sum it up. Georgia is 5-10, and ten, and all 10 losses are to every decent team they've played. They beat Memphis, but that was at a point where Memphis was losing weird games. I watched games. that game. So, like, good for them on that. But, like, they've got every other team that has a pulse has beaten them. Um, there's been a few of them that were close, but they've also gotten beaten down by some teams that they had no business to. Uh, you know, four guys in double figures, but I mean, most of the statistical categories go against them. I, I, I will name one player who I don't even know if he's a starter, but I just want to bring him up for a, a reason. I'll say in a sec, Noah Bauman. Uh, the kid is shooting, where's it at? About 48% from three. So I'm sure that kid's going to have 20 against us because that's typically how he's going. Um, I'm not going to point anyone else out. Look, I, I think State will win the game, uh, and I, th- I think State will probably win pretty easily. These are not the type of games Howland has really lost, maybe the exception being Vanderbilt because Vanderbilt always gives Mississippi State problems regardless of who that coach is. Um, but, I, I mean, I expect State to win win pretty easily. It's just, you know, there's not too much to get excited about. You, you would think there would be some more buzz around this game, but, I mean, coming off of a tough loss in Oxford, it kind of feels like the same old, same old. Right. Something that is worth getting excited about, and uh, I think, you know, some men's, some men's basketball fans, you're not one of them, complain when this happens, and I d- will never understand that. But Mississippi State women are – I will just say this. They're playing with the toughness, no doubt in my mind, playing with the toughness and the ferocity that we were known for when Vic was here. That attitude, some might say it never left, although lack of effort was a disgusting issue – that really made my stomach churn last last season, and it would for any team, not just the women's basketball team. If I if I saw some of the, I don't want to call out any individuals, but just some of the lack of effort on any Mississippi State team that we saw last year when the women's team was at their lowest, it would not make me proud. But not a single shred of that remains with this women's team as of right now. They've played one game on the road against Alabama with eight players a team who has taken it to probably the best team Georgia's ever had uh, only a few short days later. Best, I wouldn't say best, I don't know Georgia's history enough to say best thing they've ever had, but Georgia's usually not good at women's basketball, and they're pretty good this year. Coaching candidate there, just so you know, she, Georgia's coach is from Winston County, Mississippi. But they went out on the road to Tuscaloosa, beat them, had a nice Mississippi State crowd there too, and then they come home and play with seven, the league minimum, seven, uh, against Vanderbilt and got the win there. And now it's looking like they're have to going to have to scrape and claw to even get to go on the road to Kentucky later this week. Uh, I wouldn't mind if that one gets postponed because I don't want to play Kentucky with seven players. That'd, that, that, that'd be a tall order. Uh, but they've really, really shined. They, they went – they had a last-minute schedule change to where – due to postponement where they got sent to South Carolina to play the nothing but the number one team on the road – uh, they only came up short by 12. They had it within single digits sometime late in the second half. So 
you like the fight up there too. Really, really like what I see from Doug Novak and that women's team uh, this year so far. Absolutely. Um, look, obviously, it was a rough, rough year for them a year ago. Ever just that having a program that was built so strongly, uh, kind of, you know, and I'm, look, I'm not here to bash, you know, Nikki. I mean, it's not all on her. Things just went poorly last year. There was a lot of issues in the locker room. Um, and then the offseason uh, certainly was pretty tumultuous as well. And obviously, you know, thoughts and prayers to Nikki. I hope she's doing well right now, having to um, step away from coaching with her her health issues. Um, and obviously, you know, you deal with some transfers. Doug Novak gets promoted sort of at the last second. This team's been put in a really tough spot. And yet, I mean, they're sitting, I think, 10 and four. Um, they've, like I said, they're two and one in the SEC with the one loss being a, a tough fought battle at South Carolina. Um, they're playing really hard despite being down and being put in a tough spot with COVID. And I mean, I think they were named like the NCAA team of the week for the effort that they've put in. You have to feel proud if you're a Bulldog fan of this team. Um, I think most of us still want to see women's basketball be uh, a big time sport on this campus. And look, um, while the men's team feels like it's doing the same old, same old, maybe the women's team is starting to get back to their same old too. Um, so good on them for the fight that they put in. Hopefully this can continue to build and they can turn this into a, a tournament season. I, I don't think that was expected from anyone this year, but it's not out of the question at this point. Yeah, something that uh, I think you want to keep your eye on, you know, beginning of the season when Coach McCrae had to step down and they hired Doug Novak, I don't think anybody had their eye on him as a coaching candidate. A lot of fans do now. What you've got is a kind of a Gary Henderson situation going on. And I'm going to be honest, I still think it's a long shot, but if he gets this team to the tournament, by George, all bets are off if he gets this team past the second weekend of the tournament, okay? I mean, then, like, you're, you're, he's going to be, I wouldn't say the favorite, but he's going to be really challenging for the position. Uh, but he's got to be in the back of coach, uh, coach Cohen's head. I call him Coach still, I guess whatever committee that they've got working on that. He's putting together a good audition. I don't know if he wants the job. I don't know if he uh, wants to get back into men's coaching. I do know that he will have a job, won't be with us, if he's not hired as a head coach. You have to think that he wouldn't just slide back into an assistant role. But I do know that the rate is going right now. He'll have a head coaching job somewhere after this is over. So he's he's experienced head coach. The team has really shown its grit and toughness. The offense is working. Even as shorthanded as it is, guys, even when you're not playing with seven players, you don't have an experienced center or any type of size whatsoever for to save your life. I mean, Raven Farley is doing a great job. Danae uh, Carter is doing an outstanding job as a freshman. But, again, she is a freshman. Raven Farley doesn't have the size and the power that you're missing with Jess Carter, who's out for some health-related things. Uh, really, really like what Doug, Doug Novak's done. And I think I mentioned – uh, last show, you know, I wouldn't mind if he got a look for the job, but can he recruit? You don't, I don't know. Well, we landed a transfer last week, a Michigan State uh, transfer, Eliza Winston, second leading scorer for their team the last two seasons in a row, went into the transfer portal at Michigan State and midseason has already signed with Mississippi State. She can't play this year, of course, but that's a second Michigan State girl you've gotten. She's going to try the other MSU for size, but that is a mid-season recruiting win that we got over UConn, Baylor, Texas, those types of programs. So I'm thinking he probably can recruit. 
so we'll have to see. I, I really like what he's uh, what he's done so far, and that could be a, a good a good pickup for Mississippi State. Definitely could. You know, I'm not thinking about budget things. I don't think you should you should be thinking to get anybody on the cheap with this hiring cycle. I think I want uh, women's basketball. You know, I, I kind of want to take the spare no expense approach, although I doubt that's how it goes. But you got to think Doug Novak might be a little bit less expensive than taking a sitting head coach uh, from somebody else. Look, well, he's clearly a great job right now. Um, he's absolutely made himself a real candidate. We're just, I, I think – some of the shots you saw of him during the game, clearly he, he's very much you know, taking this team under his wing. He's very much passionate about it. So he coaches hard. Yeah. And, you know, we know state fans love that. So. He'll, get in a, he'll get in a referee's face for his team. And I love uh, – reminds me of my old coach in high school. I like that about him. Uh, so as we move on now, I'm sure everybody will be excited to hear. Just on the other side of this segment with Andrew, I have an, an interview with – Bulldog infielder transfer from Mercer, R.J. Yeager. Uh, he'll, he's competing uh, in the middle infield here at Mississippi State. Double-digit home run guy for Mercer last year, graduate transfer. Going to hear his thoughts on what it's like moving, making the transition to the SEC, what it's like coming and playing for Coach Lamonis and, and uh, helping Mississippi State with the title defense and what that kind of entails. You know, It's kind of a very unique situation to be a newcomer on a team that's already at the top of the mountain. So you'll get to hear from that to kind of get your baseball fixed. I know all of you are interested in that. And pretty soon we'll start doing some previewing things kind of for baseball. I think we're about three days away from the five-week mark. So maybe about the two- or three-week mark, we'll start previewing who we think is going to start at every position, who's going to be in the rotation. I did ask RJ about that, so you can all see what he has to say about his predictions for the starting lineup. But – more than anything, I hope you'll just enjoy getting to know him, and I'm sure he'll enjoy getting to know Duty Noblefield and Starkville uh, throughout this season. All right, that'll do it. you have anything else for today? No, that's going to be it for me. Um, everybody obviously stick around for the interview. Like I said, as always, swing your sword in Hale State, but don't go anywhere. we got an interview coming up. So, uh, as promised, I'm here with – R.J. Yeager. R.J. is a transfer infielder over uh, coming over to Mississippi State from Mercer. Uh, last year, batted over 300, batted 308 with 13 home runs, and he's looking to be a very key cog in Mississippi State's national title defense in, a, in a 2022. What's up, R.J.? Hey, how's it going, Colton? Thanks for having me. Yeah, and unfortunately, uh, due to Mississippi law, R.J. will not be able to ink any NIL deals with Jaegermeister. Uh, we can't have Jaeger bombs for every home run he hits or anything like that. I'm, I'm sure there's some little loophole that we might find out about later, but. Yeah, we'll have to find one or two. Did you, did you look into it? Be honest. A little bit. <laughs> I feel like we'll, 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 we'll find a way around somewhere. Right, right, right. Well, there's got to be a, a little, an, an end somewhere on that. <laughs> but. Uh, like we said, you know, you came from the transfer portal. Uh, you came from Mercer. You're a grad transfer, that's correct? Yep. Got your degree. What you studying for uh, this year as a grad student? Yeah, I'm in the Workforce Educational Leadership Program. Sounds so, good. Yeah, it's been going good so far. Good, good, good. So what initially drew you to Mississippi State? Oh, man, just the tradition out here and the, you know, Duty Noble's second to none. I mean, people people don't realize it, but 
just the the fan base and the destruction we have here the coaches here amazing and i mean really it was a it was a the decision came easy to be so honest it wasn't a tough sell no no when people get when coach Lamonis gets people on campus here i don't know how they don't commit right on the spot this place is really cool good to know i can't wait for you to see it when it's packed out i know i'm excited to see i've heard crazy stories but I'm excited to see Great things happen. Uh, last year, uh, we fed the Kent, the Kent State uh, right fielder, we fed him like two salsa dogs while he was playing. <laughs> and that dude was so cool. He tore his ACL on the third game running to first base. It was really sad. Like, yeah. I felt really bad for him because he was the, he was the coolest guy all, week, all year. Dang. Was that Kent? I think it was Kent State. Whatever. Anyway, he was a good guy. So, uh, I said, I said that like he's dead. I said, he was a good guy. Uh, anyway. Yeah, he'll be back soon, hopefully. Yeah. So, uh, something that I'm sure a lot of people want to ask, especially, you know, and obviously it's different than, like, football transfer portal. I mean, it's the same system, but, like, how recruiting goes is a little different. What's it like to go into the transfer portal? Is it scary? I mean, do you, are you, are you, do you ever have that fear that, like, you might not end up where you hoped, or how does that work? Yeah, so I, I did a little bit of um... – research on it like I, I really didn't know either um going into it was kind of was kind of nerve-wracking I, I I knew I would get picked up I just didn't know where you know so you know that whole situation was kind of uh was kind of it wasn't really scary but it was just I didn't know mm -hmm. so I didn't really know how it worked I had a couple friends that have done it before so you know I talked to them how it worked and all that good stuff so um, yeah, I put my name in. Uh, I think I had to sign a couple different documents. And yeah, I was in and I, I luckily I started see, receiving phone calls pretty much like 30, 20, 30 minutes after. So it was oh, good. wow. So you put yeah. your name in and immediately your phone just starts blowing up. Yeah, it, it was crazy. That's what it's like to be a hot commodity, big dog. Nah. <laughs> yeah, man, I got lucky, I guess, man. It was it was a cool experience. It was cool. So uh, shifting gears a little bit, you know, I, I imagine the casual baseball fan, the casual, casual college baseball fan probably thinks that the SOCON where Mercer plays and the SEC is as different as like, you know, Little League and the pros. Uh, I, don't, I doubt it's that different, but has it really been an adjustment or, or have you, have you, was it pretty easy to get up to speed? Um, yeah, so the we played in the SOCON, like you said, and it was – I mean, they, we don't get me wrong, we had good players. Like, we, we did, but – the SEC, there's just a lot more of them. Mm -hmm. so, like, and obviously, you haven't faced real competition yet, but I'm sure there's lots of pitchers and hitters on this team that yeah, yeah, kind of idea. Exactly. So just the the scrimmages that we've had have really helped me out. Um, the coaching here has been unbelievable, second to none. Uh, to be honest with you, I've learned so much already in such a short period of time, and so that that alone has really helped me. And now, like going coming from you know the socon it done it doesn't really make a difference now because i you know i've i've just learned so much from these guys and these pitchers and position players it's all been uh, a good thing so yeah it's it was it's definitely different i'm not gonna lie and say it's not different it's definitely different um just a lot a lot more players um they throw harder 
you know, every now and then you run into somebody on the SoCon throwing, pumping it up there good, but there's just a lot more of them in the SEC. Got you. Yeah. So a uh, l- little bit of a different question here. So obviously, you know, every year that a team tries to defend their title, especially when it's a team that's new to it, and I say new to it, you know, we've always been good at Mississippi State, but that title was elusive until last year. You know, you hear about that hanger over effect and how it can catch up to you. You can, you know, you kind of sleepwalk through part of the season the next year. And as a new player, as a newcomer, you and the, and, the, and the true freshman and some of those other guys have kind of a unique perspective. You know, you won't be feeling the hangover yourselves. You know, what have the coaches done to, like, ensure that that doesn't happen? And, like, what's your role in that? And how do you help the team fight through that? Yeah, so I think Coach Lamonis has been uh, very good and, you know, not – not letting anybody be complacent with, you know, where we're at. Like he's, you know, he repeatedly say like, this is a new team. Last year's team was awesome. Don't get me wrong. And, you know, we celebrated that and they celebrated that, but this is a completely different team and we're going to go attack the next national championship. Like we're not, we're not going to defend it. We're going to attack it. So that's kind of like what he preaches. And I think that's, we've taken that, you know, really well, um, everybody's working hard and, you know, it's, it's, it's just cool to have, you know, coaches that are saying like, all right, last year was cool. Like it's done with this year's completely different. Like let's roll, you know? So that's been cool. Sounds good. I hear coach Lamontis is a really business-like approach. Yes. He's awesome. What are you doing? Yeah. He's awesome. Let me get my dog out of the way. Get down sweet. <laughs> Sorry about that. Oh, yeah. All right. So getting into some of the fun questions, you know, who's been your closest friends on the teams uh, through fall practice and stuff? Yeah. So I got to shout out my roommate, Jess Davis. He's, he's been a, uh, he's a grad transfer too uh, from UAB and we're, we're roommates. So he's probably one of my, one of my best ones, but man, they're all, we're I, I feel like our whole team's pretty dang, pretty tight. It's uh it's been a great, you know, in the locker room, we're always messing around, joking around, hanging out. So you know, I'm, I'm boys with everybody, really. It's, it's just a good uh, family atmosphere. And, you know, we root for everybody on the team. Nobody's, you know. So it's, it's a really good uh, culture we have in that locker room. So I'm, I'm fired up about that. What's your favorite place to hang out in Starkville so far? Oh, I like, um, I like two brothers. I love two brothers. We just recently went down to, uh, I think it's the stagger stagger in with the stagger in. It's golf back. Simulator. It's back. Yeah, they got the golf simulator in there, and we we, <laughs> we go up there and hit some balls. But uh, this past fall, we went to a couple of different golf courses, so we had fun. Um, but yeah, I like two brothers. I like two brothers the best, man. Two brothers is awesome. I might see you there sometimes. There you go. It's fun. I don't I don't eat there, but I'll hang out there. Yeah. Um, so what's something that every Mississippi State fan should know about R.J. Yeager? Oof. Um, I come I, – I don't know. I come to the field every day, you know, playing hard regardless, you know, 0 for 4, 4 for 4, doesn't matter. I'm still – I'm going to be the same person. Um, I'm a pretty even-killed guy, so it – you know, I, I try not to let my highs get too high or lows get too low. But – um, I don't know. Every day you're just going to get all I got. So I think that's uh, what I would say that people, you know, need to know about me. Oh, yeah. That sounds like the type of player that would fit right in. 
I'm sure a lot of them have come before and a lot of people you play with now and a lot that have come after will be that type of player. Yeah. All gas, no brakes. Exactly. Uh, and here we get to the questions where if you got to give a no comment, it's okay. But, you know, on the field, where, where have you, where they got you lining up? Where are you playing at so far? Yeah, I, I, uh, I've been playing a little, I've been playing a little bit of second base, came up in, uh, in the falls, playing short, moved around, played a little second, you know, every now and then. So, you know, that's kind of not a hundred percent yet. So I'm not going to say anything. So we'll see about that, but I do plan on contributing in some way. Right. I saw, I watched a couple Mercer games to try to get up to speed and you look like a, I didn't, I didn't play baseball in college, so you can't like take my word for it too bad, but you do seem like a true middle infielder. Like you fit in good there. Yeah. Yeah. I feel really comfortable at uh, really any, any spot uh, in the infield. So yeah, it'll be uh it'll be a good time wherever I'm at. And the last one is who you think's pitching on the weekends? We're going to have Lando Sims up there on Friday for sure. <laughs> Confirmed. Confirmed Landon Sims. And then they're still working some other things out? Yeah, they're still working some other ones out. I, I don't know for sure. Um, but I know they're they're going to be ready to roll, and they're they're always um, working hard, and they're they're awesome too. So they're, we got a bunch of good pitchers to pick from, that's for sure. Who's, who's the hardest to hit against, relievers, starters, other, or otherwise? Ooh, the hardest to hit against. Um, really, it depends on the day because everybody's got nasty stuff. But I would say probably Parker Stinnett for me. Uh, his his uh, his sliders, off speed stuff is very very good. Is he but, still rocking the the flow, or has he got got it cut? Nah, man, he cut it. He cut it. Yeah, so, yeah. I I don't know him with long hair, so I'm used. To, I guess I'm used to uh, his short hair. But hope that wasn't the source of his power. Yeah, I know. Samson Delilah situation going on there. Oh, I know it. But yeah, he's got it. He's got it trimmed up. He's got it trimmed up. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, I hope we didn't take too much of your time. Really, really excited to see you and all the Diamond Dogs uh, on the field in 2022. We'll start that first uh, series against Long Beach State. Uh, by some polls, a ranked Long Beach State team the weekend after Valentine's Day here in Duty Noble Field. So y'all have a chance to make a big statement early on in the season. Uh, you have good or uh, interesting early season matchups. I'm going to, I'm trying to, I'm looking into tickets for Tulane right now. So I'm sure everybody listening is going to support y'all uh, all the way. And we're really excited to see what you in particular and everybody else does on the field this year. Absolutely. Super exciting. Sounds good. Hail state.